Church, today I want to continue our new preaching series. So it kind of, Joe said on the uh, church news that it begins today, but we kind of begun last week, but I will kind of do a quick revision for those who were not here. But I want to continue preaching um, a series to discover what our core values are. What are our core values? But let me just pray because I certainly need prayer. So if you can pray with me this morning as I bring this word. Lord, I thank you that I believe you are here, Holy Spirit, and what a rich time of worship. We establish your presence in this building, in this place, because we want to center our everything around you. I pray that you'd help me to speak with clarity. Help me to speak something that is relevant, something of your word that will speak to people's hearts, Holy Spirit. And I thank you that you are here. And I believe that you're going to speak in Jesus' name. Amen. Awesome. So just a quick little bit of revision from last week for those who are not here. I realized recently that we've been here for maybe eight, almost nine months. And we haven't really, you know, I guess, given the church some of the fundamental knowledge that I believe is important for everybody attending in Church Canberra to know what are, what are some of the most important things that if you talk to any member in this church, they would be able to tell you. So the first one that I talked about last week very quickly was In Church Canberra's mission statement. What is In Church Canberra's mission statement? And it shouldn't be unique to just In Church Canberra. It should actually be a mission statement that we share across every church. But what's the reason for our existence, our purpose and overall intention? It is this. We exist to turn non-Christians into totally committed followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's important to kind of have that understanding that that is our mission statement. That's why we exist, right? And I also spoke about our values. And our values lay the foundation for what In Church Canberra cares about most. It provides a common purpose that each member can understand, work towards, and live by, okay? So last week I shared core value one. Now, I want to say something because this will make sense later in the sermon. I'm saying core value, okay? Values is an important thing to have for a church, something that we all have a common purpose over. But today, I want to take it to another level of what these values that I want to reveal to our church, I want to take it to another level. So just keep that in mind. I'm calling it value at the moment, but just keep that in mind. Okay. I'm just getting a little distracted by my little daughter there, Lillian. Hello, Lillian. Can you keep that volume down a little bit? Thank you. Awesome. So the first core value that I spoke about last week was mission and discipleship. Mission and discipleship. And it comes straight from the Scripture. Okay, This is not a value that we have, you know, sat down and and talked about. No, this comes straight from Scripture. It comes from Jesus Christ Himself. And the value of mission and discipleship is found in Matthew 28. It says, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, 
even to the end of the age. It was established by Jesus, right? What, 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 what is our mission moving forward, right? I love the story. Actually, last week I very quickly shared from his first public appearance when he takes the book of Isaiah and he talks about what his purpose was from Isaiah. He reads it, right, and, and establishes it from right from the beginning. This is what I'm here. I'm here to, you know, set the captives free, to open blind eyes. He establishes it from the beginning. And then after his life of ministry, the last thing he says is, okay, it's over to you. This is your mission. Go into all the world and make disciples. You know, reaching Canberra is important, church, absolutely. But so is the rest of the world, right? It's not just Canberra that we want to consider in our hearts. We want to consider what can we do, Lord, to reach out to the nations. I believe we can respond to the heart of God by giving or going, okay? So I love the fact that we are a missions church and we have a missions, uh, you know, projects that we fund and everything like that. That's, that's you know, when, when you put your finance into something, you suddenly care a lot more about it, right? I know for me, my kids, they don't understand value of possessions yet because I buy the possessions and they don't. And so I'm always like, be careful how you treat our possessions and our things so that it, you know, it, we don't have to buy a new one. But they don't understand that yet. But it's where your money is, is where your mouth is kind of thing, you know, that saying. But let me talk about value too. So the first value was mission and discipleship. Okay, the next value. Today I want to share the next value. But before I do that, last week in reflection, I realized that I failed to explain the importance of our values. Okay, I explained the purpose of values, but didn't emphasize the gravity of understanding, working towards, and living by each value. I didn't really emphasize that, and I'm going to show you why. I'm going to go there today. So let me start by laying a foundation before we discover the value, okay? And I'm going to use a little bit of a, a, uh, an example that might relate to some people in the congregation. Actually, I'm sure it will. But in Warfare Church, I've got a picture up here. I'll go to the next one, Sonny, if that's okay. In Warfare, the high ground is everything. During World War II at Iwo Jima, Iwo Jima Mount Suribachi, I'm trying my best here, was the Japanese stronghold. Take it and you could control the rest of the island. The next shot there, Sonny, if you don't mind. The 36-day World War II fight was one of the bloodiest in US military history. It was a strategic victory for US forces as a launching point for future attacks on the Pacific. Okay? Five days into the fight, Marines raised the flag, which is the picture there that you see, right, on top of a captured mountain. One scenario in history where a high place was very significant to take ownership of or to take authority over, to be able to enable further success down the road. There's another battle that I will reflect on just to kind of share about our values in a moment. But it's in the Civil War, General Robert E. Lee built his battle plans around the high ground. 
okay, around the high grounds. He knew that if he was to win at Gettysburg, he needed to take Little Round Top. Little Round Top. Robert E. Lee taking Little Round Top is the next photo that you can see there. But the Union colonial, strong Vincent, was not about to give up the hill of Little Round Top. He actually said this. This was the message he gave to the General Chamberlain. He said this. This is the left of the Union line. You are to hold this ground at all costs. A bullet struck Colonial Strong fatally, reportedly. His last command was, don't give an inch. Do not give an inch. He died on that hill, not giving an inch. It was the turning point in the Civil War that eventually ended slavery and established the United States of America. Down through the centuries, military commanders have prized the high ground. The high ground is significant. It's important. They have weighed, they've weighed the cost of taking and holding a given hill and knew the ones that, if necessary, they would die on. So church, I've entitled this message moving forward and series, The Hills... The hills we die on. The hills we die on. I could, have entitled it, I could have entitled it the core values, which I have before, but I was saying I was going to go there and kind of add to the importance of what we're about to speak about. But in all honesty, values does not seem near strong enough a word as what I feel is in my heart. It just doesn't give it enough of what we want to, understand this morning. Maybe the five essentials would have been more appropriate or the non-negotiables or the five immovables. Before I introduce the first hill, church, can I just say not all hills are worth dying for. Now, I reflect on our last season as a nation, wherever you were. I know for us, we experienced a little bit of a uh, a situation where you had vaccinated people and unvaccinated people at odds with each other. And I remember to the point that, you know, people in our world were frustrated with other people in our world. And it was almost as if, like, really, guys, why are we choosing such a topic? And I'm not saying it's not important, but to, to die upon this hill. To die upon this hill that, hey, I'm willing to lose my friends. I'm willing to... I don't believe personally all hills are worth dying for is what I'm trying to say, right? Think back a couple months ago, I spoke on another topic. I talked about the Discrimination Act, the threat of the Discrimination Act being changed to impede on our religious freedoms, right? Taking control of what we can say and what we can't say. Now that is a hill, worth dying on. What we believe, who we are, who Christ has called us to be, what He's called us to proclaim, that is a hill 
worth dying for, dying on. Does that make sense? I hope I'm explaining this well enough. But the first hill that I believe worth dying on, the first hill, is prayer. It is prayer. Church, prayer declares our utter dependency upon God. It really does, right? The truth is, we will never be good enough, sharp enough, smart enough, polished enough, or talented enough to build His house without Him. Never. I love it when people come for prayer after the service. The very act of somebody coming to to ask for prayer is them saying, I am in a situation that is beyond my control. Can you stand with me and can you pray and believe with me that God will hear from heaven and move on our behalf? The very act of prayer acknowledges that without you, God, we can do nothing. We can do absolutely nothing. I've said this before, but praying on your knees, the body language of surrender. I just love, right? And not everybody can bow their knees, I get it. But just the place where you come to that absolute surrender and say, God, Even my body language is in a position to say, Lord, here I am. I cannot do anything without you. We need you, God. We need you to intervene in every single area of our life. Prayer reminds me that He, that He is so big and I am so little. And I need Him so much. That's exactly what prayer declares. John 15.5 says this, I am the vine, you are the branches. And then in that verse later on, it says, Apart from me, you can do nothing. The value of the vine to the branch is the value of prayer to the church. Let me say that again. The value of the vine to the branch is the value of prayer to the church. We value, esteem, and hold dear prayer. It is absolutely essential. Absolutely essential. Here's a quote I want to share. It says, we can do nothing without prayer. All things can be done by importunate prayer. It surmounts or removes all obstacles, overcomes every resisting force and gains its ends in the face of invisible hindrances. Amen. Church, let me say this. The devil has no defense for it. No defense. Here's another amazing quote. Prayer is 
of transcendent importance. Prayer is the mightiest agent to advance God's work. Only praying hearts and hands can do God's work. Prayer succeeds when all else fails. We hand over the keys, so to speak, of control that we somehow holding on to things and trying to work it out ourselves, hand it over and say in that prayerful place and say, God, we need you. Here's another quote. Prayer is our most formidable weapon, the thing which makes all else we do efficient. Can anybody say amen to that? You know, church, even preparing for a Sunday, right? Without prayer, I honestly feel completely not equipped or ready. It's like, Lord, please, I need you to help me communicate. Please speak to people's hearts. Without prayer, we can do nothing. And last quote, I would rather teach one man to pray than 10 men to preach. Hey? not worry about, you know, trying to get to some kind of a position of preaching if that was ever a case for anybody. But it's more important that we become disciplined in our prayer life and understand that it is the very way we can actually connect with God. It's a powerful weapon that is available to all of us. Romans 1.9 says this, God knows how often I pray for you. Day and night, I bring you and your needs in prayer to God, whom I serve with all my heart by telling others the good news about His Son. Day and night, the emphasis being all the time. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, Pray without ceasing. When you pray, church, in the morning, if that's what you do, right? You open up a line of communication to the Father in heaven that we can continue to stay connected with Him all day long. You know, I, I liken it to, did ever, anyone, was there anyone in a situation like this? And if you were, and you don't want to put your hand up, you don't have to. You can just nod your head or just be embarrassed by it. But did anyone ever have a girlfriend or boyfriend and it'd be like, you hang up the phone first. No, you hang up the phone first. No, you hang it up first. No, okay, or I love you. No, I love you more. I love you you way more. Any, anyone ever been in a situation like that? No, neither have I. <laughs> right? But my, the point is, what I'm trying to say is when you open up your day with prayer, it doesn't have to be long, but when you acknowledge God's presence in your life and say, God, please be a part of my day. Please lead me and guide me through my day. You know what happens? It's like you've actually called up on your phone, the Heavenly Father in, he in heaven. And the beauty of it is you stay connected with Him all day long. It's an open line of communication that continues all day long. And I'm telling you, if you haven't done this in your life, the difference it makes when you start your day with acknowledging Him and saying, God, you know the details before I even live in any of them. God is a detailed God. Praise the Lord. He knows what conversation I'm going to be in today. 
He knows what problem I'm going to have to overcome. He knew what situation I had to deal with with my son leaving the church. He knows everything before it happens. And when you open up your day with, Lord, I acknowledge your presence. I want you in every detail of my life. Come and lead me and guide me. You stay connected with him all day long. And there's no such thing as hanging up the phone. It's a beautiful thing. 2 Timothy 1.3 says, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day. Night and day. Church, prayer is essential. It's a non-negotiable. It is a hill. It is a hill that we die on. Prayer is not just a value. It's not just something that, oh, we're prayerful people. No, no. It's a hill that we die on. We cannot function without a prayerful life. As as a church and as individuals, understanding, coming to that revelation on your own that, Lord, I need to be connected with you in prayer. This is my last slide and we'll finish up the service for today. I say less is more, right? I'd love you to be able to walk away today and just think about a couple thoughts. And that's one. What is one of the hills that we die on? Well, it's prayer, which is a core value in its much weaker you know, name. But I love this church, and I'll finish with this slide. Daniel refused to stop praying even when his life was threatened. So his king was forced to obey his own law and throw Daniel into a den of hungry lions. I just love that story of Daniel actually demonstrating the very point that I'm making today. That was a hill he was willing to die on because he understood that without the intervention of the Most High God, without His kingship in our life, we can do nothing. Daniel understood that he could do nothing without prayer. And I love the story because he, he goes to the den of lions. He's cast in with the lions. And being a prayerful man and having faith, God delivers him. God delivers him out of that, you know, hopeless place. And isn't that what prayer does, church? Right? Listen, I know every single one of you today might think in your mind a scenario that seems hopeless. Whether it, whether it is a family member that is unsaved, whether it is you believe, you've believed for a healing and a miracle for a long time and it hasn't happened yet. I just want to encourage you, don't lose heart in whatever you're praying for. Continue to acknowledge God in your place that you feel like it's absolutely hopeless. And just see Him do the miraculous. See Him do what we can't do. We have limitations. Absolutely we do. But He doesn't have any limitations. 
Can we have the uh, worship team come and join me, if that's okay? Prayer, a powerful, powerful weapon that we possess as Christians. And quite frankly, I don't think as the body of Christ, we nearly take advantage of it as much as we should. I I don't know about you, but you probably can relate to me. But sometimes I'm trying to figure out things in my life, right? I'm figuring things out or I'm trying to. And then it only occurs to me later, Dave, you haven't even prayed about it. Why don't you invite God into the situation instead of carrying a whole bunch of burdens? And I'm, I'm, I sometimes think I'm some kind of a problem solver. No, I'm not, right? But when I invite God into the situation and I say, God, please come and sort this mumble jumble out for, for on my behalf because I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to... I don't know how to deal with this situation. God, please, would you come in the center of my situation? Would you help me? Would you direct me? Would you lead me? And God is so good. He does. He doesn't just leave you on your own, try to work it out. He will come and He will speak into your heart. He will speak through His Word and He will direct your path. The Bible says, trust in the Lord your God with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding and, he, and acknowledge Him and He will direct your path. He will make your path straight. And it's in that place where you say, I trust God. That's in a prayerful state, right? That's a place where you come and you acknowledge that I don't know what's next, Lord. I don't know how to overcome this, but I trust you, God. I trust you. I acknowledge you in all my ways. Direct my path. Make it straight. Can we just close our eyes for a moment? And church-